This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, October 3rd. Coming up, the midterm elections are about five weeks away. Today, we take a deep dive into what's on the Missouri ballot. But first, our regular Monday look at politics and government news on both sides of the state line. There's a new poll out in Missouri's U.S. Senate race, and it confirms what has long been assumed in the Republican-leaning state. Attorney General Eric Schmidt holds a commanding lead over the Democrat Trudy Bush Valentine. Schmidt leads 49 to 38 percent overall, with about a 3 percent margin of error. He's particularly dominant among older voters who make up the majority of the electorate in the state. Almost half of those surveyed in the Emerson College poll named the economy as their top issue, and among those voters, Schmidt leads almost 4 to 1. Only a third as many voters say threats to democracy are their main concern in the election, and those voters favor Valentine by a three-to-one margin. In Kansas, small businesses that were forced to close or limit their operations during the pandemic may soon be able to get money from a new state program to cover some of their losses. More from Jim McLean. The Kansas Department of Revenue is preparing to launch the Storefront Relief Program approved by lawmakers last spring. Small brick-and-mortar retail businesses will be eligible for up to $10,000 to cover pandemic-related losses suffered in 2020 and 2021. Revenue Secretary Mark Burghardt says how much a business gets will depend on its property taxes and how much it was affected. The number of days that the business was impacted, either through a shutdown or uh, some sort of restriction, The agency will start taking applications in October, but businesses must get a federal ID before they can apply, a process that Burghardt warns could take weeks because of backlogs. Lawmakers will be back in Jefferson City this week to continue a special session called by Governor Mike Parson to provide tax relief to Missourians. What's left to consider is a proposal to provide incentives for agricultural businesses in the state. But the marquee item from this session is already on its way to the governor's desk, a reduction of the top income tax rate from 5.3% to 4.95%. To take effect immediately, eventually it'll go as low as 4.5% if certain targets are met. Although the state currently has a big budget surplus, Democrats decried the measure, saying it would mostly help high-income earners who need it the least. Representative Rasheen Aldridge of St. Louis says he's upset a provision to lower sales taxes on personal hygiene products got stripped out of the plan. You're talking about items that are an essential need, not a luxury. You're talking about when people are struggling to keep their lights on, giving them relief in their pocket when they have to purchase these items. The bill isn't quite as big a tax cut as the governor wanted, but Parson said he would sign the bill, which will reduce general revenue in the state by $764 million a year once it's fully implemented. A lot of attention this fall is being paid to the elections on the Kansas side of the state line, where the races for governor and state attorney general and the congressional seat that covers Johnson and part of Wyandotte County are all too close to call. The Missouri ballot might seem more boring, but in fact, it's full of significant races, including statewide contests, controversial ballot questions, and a newly redistricted legislature. I spoke with Jason Hancock, editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent, about what Show Me State voters will find when they go to the polls. You know, we have a Senate seat that's open with uh, the retirement of Roy Blunt, and we had a pretty vigorous primary for both Republicans and Democrats. 
And uh, after millions of dollars spent, we emerged with two candidates that uh, most polls show are not very close together when it comes down to for voters to, to pick their favorite. You know, the, the Republican is easily ahead at this point in the game. It's not to say that things couldn't change. And then when you look at other uh, races, there just doesn't seem to be any juice. Right. You know, the auditor's race, there's a, an open seat for that. It's the only seat that Democrats hold at a statewide level and they're kind of uh, expected to lose that one to the Republicans this fall. And um, other than maybe some of the ballot questions, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of, of drama, at least so far. Well, uh, let's talk about each of those a little bit. Uh, the statewide race for U.S. Senate uh, with Attorney General Eric Schmidt on the Republican side. Uh, poll out uh, late last week shows uh, maybe a 10 or 11 point lead over Democrat Trudy Bush Valentine. Are you finding anything at all interesting about that race where, where Schmidt is so heavily favored? Presumably, if, if Trudy Bush Valentine is willing to spend enough money, maybe she could make the race tight. But if, most people think that this state is just trended so far Republican that coming out of the primary, if, if anyone but Eric Greitens, who's our disgraced former governor, uh, emerged as the as the nominee, then the Democrats would be facing a very steep uh, uphill fight. And that's that's where we're at right now. It seems like Trudy Bush Valentine's campaign, you know, knowing it would have to win over some significant number of, of Donald Trump voters, essentially, for her to actually win. Uh, it's difficult to see what the path to making that happen would be. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it looks like they're leaning into abortion, which, you know, after the Dobbs decision has... Uh, has raised the enthusiasm of Democrats. Obviously, Kansas, you know, was the first test case of that, uh, that folks who are pro-choice, uh, they're pro-choice Republicans, I guess is, is the point that, that, that they would make. And that maybe some of those suburban voters might swing their way. Um, and China, you know, at least in the GOP primary is a pretty ugly hit, you know. Mm -hmm. I could, it is no longer okay for Republicans to have ever been cozy with China. Um, one could make the case that Eric Schmidt was never so, quote unquote, cozy with China. Uh, but a couple of his votes don't look as good now as they would have 10 years ago when it was a completely different party before Donald Trump. So I think that's that seems to be the strategy they're going with. But again, it remains to be seen if, if Missouri is even capable of electing a Democrat statewide, uh, even under the best of circumstances. Well, the other statewide election is for auditor, which uh, is not the most exciting office. Maybe that's by design. But notably, it is the only statewide office in Missouri currently held by a Democrat. Could that be true for much longer? Most expect it not to be. Um, Scott Fitzpatrick is our state treasurer. He's He emerged from a, the primary uh, and is you know running a strong campaign against Alan Green, the Democrat, who a uh, former state lawmaker, uh, served in the administration of Democratic Governor Jay Nixon, and uh, but hasn't been raising a ton of money, hasn't really had much of a presence. It is sort of a it's the kind of office that doesn't usually garner a lot of attention. When the Democrats held it in 2018, uh, Nicole Galloway, who decided not to run for reelection, defeated a Republican candidate who was to say that she was a damaged candidate would be underselling mm -hmm. it. She was, you know, even a lot of Republicans began to disavow her campaign near the end. And so, uh, you know, and then Galloway ran for governor and was was beaten badly by Mike Parson in 2020. So, you know, this is another race where uh, I think Democrats, you know, maybe they could catch lightning in a bottle, but it doesn't seem as though like this is a race that would garner that kind of enthusiasm. But strange things happen down ballot. Remind us of why Scott Fitzpatrick, the treasurer of the state, would would run for what many would see as a less prominent or important office, uh, state auditor, uh, halfway through his term. Well, when you say less 
prominent that might be true but what the auditor does is a, is a key constitutional function they actually do a lot of watchdog and oversight of the rest of government uh, it's local government they'll do audits of local government entities both on a routine basis and they can be petitioned they also do audits of things like the legislature and the governor's office and you i'll say this about scott fitzpatrick you know he was house budget chairman before he was appointed treasurer um in 2018 and you know he did have a reputation as someone that wasn't that uh concerned with upsetting the apple cart and going and doing real oversight even upon republican uh elected officials so i think that's the draw for him towards this office and it's also a reason why democrats think you know their, their pitch if they have one is do you really want a republican in this office when the rest of the government is also Republican. Like, this is the oversight office. This is the one that sort of uh, watches the watchers and makes sure that, you know, money is spent wisely, that, the, that it's functioning as it should, even things all the way down to like the Sunshine Law. You know, are they, not necessarily are they following the Sunshine Law, but are the practices in place uh, that would abide by the Sunshine Law? So the Democrats hope the pitch is, you know, we don't want the, the you know, the, the same party being both the police and the policed. Um, but again, I haven't seen any evidence that that message is catching fire yet. Also on the ballot uh, in November, a number of constitutional amendments, one that's of particular interest to Kansas Cityans is Amendment 4, which would essentially clear the way for a law the legislature already passed affecting funding for the Kansas City Police Department. Remind us what Amendment 4 would do. So lawmakers passed a provision in state statute that required Kansas City to put uh, to basically it raised the, the basement for how much they had to put into their police department. Kansas City is the only state-run police agency. And I can't remember, I think it's 25% that this would call for. Problem is there is uh, there are bans on uh, unfunded mandates to local governments in our constitution. So you can't say to a local government, you have to pay for this without providing the money. Um, we actually wrote about that this week. It's called the Hancock Amendment. So no they knew that they had to, exactly, no relation. I think I was two when it passed. Um, <laughs> but so they needed to amend the constitution to make that statute even legal. And so that's what this is about. This is the trying to make sure that the statute that they put into place that I believe is subject to a lawsuit right now is actually constitutional. Uh, so strangely for a lot of Kansas Cityans, their police budget is essentially going to be on a statewide ballot for people in St. Louis and Columbia and Sykeston and Kirksville and Hannibal to weigh in on in November. And what's the what's the campaign like for that with all these, uh, I mean, the vast majority of people voting on it have are not in any way affected by it. And there really isn't much of a campaign. That's what's so peculiar. You know, this was placed on the ballot by the legislature, so this was not an initiative petition. So you didn't have this groundswell campaign underneath it. Um, this was placed on the ballot by the legislature. They're not, no one's out there really campaigning hard for it, but there's also not a huge campaign against it. Maybe some people will, maybe the, maybe the mayor or some local officials will try to, to get the word out. But it is tricky because, again, this is a statewide question and folks are going to be voting on it and may have no idea exactly, you know, the, the, the ins and outs of police policy in Kansas City. So there is the other amendment, uh, Amendment 3, legalizing the recreational use of marijuana in the state. That one's had a somewhat complicated journey to even get on the ballot. Where does that all stand now? You know, it was a really sh a big struggle to collect signatures this year for a lot of different reasons. There's, there was just the worker shortage. I mean, it affects every industry. It apparently also affects signature collection. Um, and they really had to, like, 
put their foot on the gas to collect the signatures. It was looking like they didn't have enough. Um, they were able to find some questionable decisions in some of the county clerk's office, use a, a more a novel approach to get the, the secretary of state's office to intervene. And they got it on the ballot. And uh, now voters are going to weigh in on whether they want to legalize adult use recreational marijuana with some other criminal justice provisions like an expungement of criminal records for nonviolent marijuana offenders uh, and things like that. But they're also finding they're running up against some unusual opposition from folks who would normally be on their team, folks who think it either doesn't go far enough with some of these criminal justice reforms or folks that accuse it of you know, carrying forward a broken system that's been criticized as you know, a monopoly. Uh, by some who say that the scoring system and the restriction on licenses is, was just unfair. Jason, I also want to ask you about the legislative races. The redistricting process uh, churned out maps that simply haven't left very many competitive districts in either the House or the Senate in Missouri. Uh, at least that's the assumption, uh, which would mean a Republican supermajority would continue to dominate both chambers in Jefferson City. Is there anything uncertain about the outcome of legislative elections next month? Uh, it depends on the chamber you're looking at. You know, I think most folks assume, you know, there's in the Senate, there's 34 seats and half of them, the, the even number uh, districts are on the ballot this year. And, you know, most people assume there's probably going to be one that might be competitive over in the St. Louis area. It leans Democratic. Most assume a Democrat's going to hold that seat. But best case scenario for Dems, I think, is coming back with 10 seats uh, to 24 Republicans. Worst case being, you know, 25 to nine, I suppose. In the House, they've had a supermajority for a while now as well. Democrats are a little more optimistic. There are some competitive seats that the, that the redistricting process put into place that, uh, you know, give them hope that maybe they could pick up a few seats, claw their way back towards relevancy in that chamber. You know, they are not ex expecting to be not, uh, out of the super minority within a year. Um, that's not, you know, what I'm hearing from Democrats, but they do think they could pick up five, six, seven, eight seats and a good year with Dobbs' decision uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. You have marijuana on the ballot. They think that could maybe bring some of their voters out as well. So you could see some Democrats pick up some seats. But historically, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, Republicans have just been really good at winning even those swing districts, even those districts that Democrats have a chance. They've just got the apparatus in place. They've got the fundraising in place. They've got the candidate recruitment in place that just give them a built-in advantage that Democrats haven't figured out how to overcome yet. That was Jason Hancock, editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent. You can find more of their coverage of state politics and government, including the special session of the Missouri General Assembly that continues this week at MissouriIndependent.com. This is Kansas City Today. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To stay in the know about the upcoming election and all things Kansas City, check out KCUR.org or listen to KCUR 89.3. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.